Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Wow. You have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. And wow, what a great spirit that is in the church. Man, oh man, you brought your A game. We were singing. I, I, I told him, I said, look, we could have stayed right there for another 30 minutes and that would have been all right with me. Who's with me? I love it. Y'all are making it so easy to preach. The waters are stirred. I'm jumping in. I'm going cannonball. I'm not putting my big toe in. I'm coming in with both feet. Uh, we, we started this thought on Sunday, and I knew, I just felt in my spirit. I, I knew that the Lord had something special on this word, um, and I feel like it's a timely word. Um, and I feel like it, it, rather than just kind of rush through it, we need to take our time with it. Can I have a good amen? And uh, how many of you know when you're having surgery, you don't want the doctor to be in a hurry? You say, Doc, just take your time. Do what you need to do. And so let's just give the Holy Spirit room in our thinking, in our schedule, in our spirit. Let's let God do a deep work in us. We're talking about the power of your thoughts. The title of the message Sunday and the continuation of that tonight is, Are You Out of Your Mind? Are you out of your mind? How many of you have ever been accused of that before? Yeah, turn your neighbor and say, Some days it's for real. If you remember, if I could reach back just for a, a couple of thoughts before we spring forward into this, the, the, the never, uh, couple of next points. Um, we, we talked about that your thoughts are something small, but they grow into something big. Remember the progression that we, we talked about that your thoughts lead to words, and your words then lead to actions. You know, your, your doing is connected to your thinking. Your thoughts lead to words. Your words lead to actions. Your actions will build habits, and those habits will develop your character. You see how something as small as the seed of a thought, a single thought, begins to produce fruit, and then your character then gives way to your destiny. And so the, the anchor verse for this in, entire series is Philippians 4.8, and Paul said this. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. I'm going to summarize what I've been talking to you about. Paul, of course, he wrote this letter to the Philippian church while he was in prison. And, um, and he said a lot of powerful things in this letter, but he, he summarizes with this one final thing. He says, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Set your mind and keep it set, one translation says. Set your mind or fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right. What is pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so what I want to try to do is pick up where we left off. I think Sunday we we talked about true. And the question is, am I living in reality? Is this thought? Now, basically this scripture, I want you to catch this. This scripture serves as a filter. Remember I gave you the analogy of a, like a furnace filter or an AC unit. The, the, the purpose of a filter is to clean the debris. Sometimes there's dust particles in the air. I mean, you don't want to be breathing that stuff. I'll tell you this. Some of you work in a very dirty, filthy environment. 
You know, our kids are about, to, are about to go to school, and, you know, they're, they're going to step onto a campus, and not every thought on that campus uh, lines up with your values or with the Word. Can I have a good amen? And so there's a filter that's supposed to capture some of these things so they don't enter into our spirit. And so Philippians 4.8 serves as that filter. Is this thought true, number one, am I living in reality? Number two, is it honorable? Does this thought lift me up or does it pull me down? And so I want to pick up with number three. If you're taking notes, the continuation of what we started on Sunday, number three, is this thought right? What is true honorable and right. And the question is this, is it confirmed by God's word? Is it confirmed by God's word? This is so, 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 so important because sometimes the metrics that we use in our thinking, it's kind of crazy. We'll, we'll measure it by how we feel. We'll measure it by what we see. We'll measure it by our circumstances or or what other people say. We'll measure it by culture. But the truth is, if you're going to take that thought and weigh it against a standard, it has to be the book. Can I have a good amen? Are we still men and women of the word? We we can't get away from this book. We, we, We can't replace this book. And I'm thankful for all the the, the, the progressive movement in the modern church. I really am. I, I love how we've adapted and we've adjusted. I love the creativity. I love the innovation. I, I love the videos and sermon series and outreaches and fun things we do with students and, and all that's great, but we can't get away from this book. Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word stands forever. The the method may change, and it has to change, but the message stays the same. Is it true? Is it confirmed by the word? You know, I was thinking, and I've shared this before. I remember as a kid, I had a, my mouth was so messed up. I I mean, I had teeth. They called me chopper. My teeth were everywhere. I had a 12-millimeter overbite. And I know that doesn't mean much to you, but the normal overbite is a two. I was a 12. I could eat corn on the cob through a picket fence. Come on, somebody. I walked into the orthodontist office. He looked at me and was like, wow. You know, I mean, for, for real. I, I, they had to pull teeth. They had to pull like eight teeth out of my head just to create enough room to push these things back in. Be walking at the mall and, you know, kids would be looking at me and parents would be like, don't stare. You're not supposed to stare. Hey, I literally had girls in middle school. Okay, let's tell you how cruel the middle school years are. Girls in middle school would come to me and they'd say, kiss me, buck tooth. My tonsils itch. Y'all pray for me. I'm still in counseling over that, all right? How many thank God for braces? Oh, Lord. I didn't get braces till I was 26, okay? I was 26 years old. I was a youth pastor here at this church, and I was in braces with all the kids, you know? Four years I wore those braces. Four years. I remember going to Angola one night for ministry, and you know you check it in at the gate. And uh, this, I, I, after, after I got my braces off, and so I had to show my ID, and I gave the, the, the security guard my uh, driver's license, and she looked at me, and she's like, "What? Well, you have the prettiest smile I've ever seen." 
<laughs> I wanted to hug her right there, you know? I'm like, baby, you may see the glory, but you don't know the story. Come on. And I thought about braces. Braces applied pressure to my crooked and twisted teeth. And sometimes this word, come on now. The word is the standard. It's not our feelings. It's not what culture says. It's not what's convenient or comfortable, but it's this book right here. We need to measure our thoughts, not based on what's popular, but what's based in this book right here. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, I want to teach you something very practical. We're going to talk about taking thoughts captive. He says in in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, but the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down arguments, or one translation says imaginations. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So I'm telling you, there's a thought in culture that's trying to exalt itself above God. It's saying we know better than God. We know sexuality better than God knows. We know family better than God knows. Tell you what, God still knows best. It says, casting down imaginations, arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and watch this, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. If you don't take your thoughts captive, they'll take you captive. And I say this out of compassion, but I feel that some of us are held hostage by the craziness that's happening in our head. This verse says we have power to take thoughts captive. Listen, think about what you're thinking about. You you don't have to just let anything fall in your brain. And for the longest time, I never understood the responsibility I had when it came to my thought life. Listen, Jesus comes into our hearts, but he holds us responsible for what's coming in and out of our heads. Are you with me? This is where we have work to do. We got to get our mind right. You got to get your got to get your mind in the right place. There's so much clutter and filth and junk and and I remember playing basketball as a kid growing up and, and uh, played in high school, played in college. And there were some players, some teams that we played against, and the guy guarding me, he was a trash talker. I mean, and that was part of his game. I mean, you know, uh, I felt like, you know, talent for talent, I, I felt like I could take him. But he would talk to me during the game, and he'd try to get right here in my head. And he knew that if he, if he could get here, in my head, he could get me outside of my ability. And I think the devil's trash-talking some of you. And he's trying to get in your head. And he's trying to mess with your mind. And you got to get your mind right. How do we get it right? Well, we're going to take some thoughts captive. Here's how this works. If you're taking notes, A, B, C, letter A, you need to identify its source. Whatever thought is in your mind, you need to just press pause and say, where is this thought coming from? What's the return address on this envelope? Where did this thought come from? It'll either come from one of three places. It'll, it'll come from God. It'll come from the devil. Or it'll just come from you. How many of you know if it comes from you or comes from the devil, it's probably not worth keeping? But you want thoughts that come from above. So the first thing, maybe you wake up in the morning and you just feel discouraged. How many of you ever woke up and it's just like, man, 
I don't even know if I want to get out of bed. Okay, where is that coming? Before you put your feet on the floor, come on somebody, press pause and say, what's the source of this thought? And when you can identify the source of that thought, then you need to do the second thing, letter B, you need to take it captive. You need to call it out. Okay, if this thought didn't come from God, then it either came from my flesh or it came from the devil. Now, if it came from the devil or my flesh, I want to say, whoa, 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 time out. Wait a second. You're not getting any further. You are now under arrest. You have the right to remain silent. Come on, somebody. I'll tell you this. We may be here a while tonight. I got four points. I may get through one. The devil is a liar. And I know we embrace that on an intellectual level. We acknowledge that. It's not a guessing game. But why is it that we, if we know he's a liar, incapable of telling us the truth? The Bible says he's the father of all lies. If we know that he's a liar and the thought in our head is coming from him, why do we entertain it so long and let it torment us? You see, you got to identify its source, then you got to take it captive, and then let her see, you've got to replace it with another thought. If that thought came from the devil, let's say you wake up and you hear in your mind, you're worthless. You know what you need to do? You need to thank God for the opposite. If the devil's a liar, then the opposite must be the truth. If you feel worthless, you just need to say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm valuable because you sent Jesus to die on a cross for me. Maybe you think, uh, well, I'm just weak. Well, if the devil tells you you're weak, you say, Lord, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. Come on, can I have a better amen? Maybe you feel like you're ugly. U-G-L-Y. You ain't got no well about you ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. M-A, M-A, we know how you got that way. Yo, my, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Just... That's terrible. That's, did y'all grow up as a kid saying that? See, rebuke that thought. That, that, that ain't God. The devil tells you that you're ugly. You need to say, you know what? I'm made in the very image of God himself. The devil tells you you don't have what it takes. You say, Lord, I thank you that I have everything. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Devil says you can't do it. You say, Lord, I thank you that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Devil says you'll never amount to anything. You say, Lord, I thank you that I'm going to fulfill my purpose for you have a plan for me. When God made you, he was not having a bad day. Can I have a good amen? You see, you got to identify its source, you got to take that thought captive, and then you have to replace it with another thought. Here, here's the, and I know it sounds simple, but check this out. We'll recognize a thought comes from the devil, we'll take it captive, and then we'll try to cancel it. But then we won't fill the emptiness with anything else. And so we walk around empty-headed, And guess what? That thought's coming back with seven more thoughts just as wicked. Come on, somebody. If I tell you, okay, okay, if I say whatever you do, do not think about pink elephants 
with wings licking lollipops. I don't know. What are you thinking right now? Yeah, okay, okay. See, see, that's it. Well, I know I'm not supposed to think thoughts of, of, of depression or discouragement. I, I know I, I, can't, I can't think thoughts of worthlessness or, or fear. And so we're so consumed with what we're not supposed to think that we never think on what is true. Now you say, okay, what am I going to replace this thought with? You got to replace it with the word. The word. What does God say about you? I'm telling you, the word of God speaks to every situation in your life. In fact, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Somebody say mouth. You see, you got to speak it. You can't just think it. You got to speak it out. You know what? Authority is never released in silence. You got to say the word of God out loud. How many ever talk to yourself? (laughs) Listen, some of the best conversations I've had are with myself. If you pull up next to me out on the road and we're at a stoplight, you'll probably see me talking to me. How many got to coach yourself sometimes? Oh, yes. Man, I got to cancel the voice of the devil. I got to hear the voice of God. I got to speak his word. The Bible says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall what? Meditate. Everybody say meditate. Can I talk to you about meditation for a moment? Okay. Now, I'm not talking about something mystic or, you know, something ancient, Eastern, whatever. I'm not talking about cultish craziness. There, this is a very biblical principle that I think a lot of the body of Christ doesn't understand. You say, well, Mike, what do you mean meditate? I I, I don't know how to meditate. How many of you are ADD, ADHD, A to Z? Yeah, yeah, we're just all over the place. We get started and then we kind of jumble around. Oh, uh, squirrel. (laughs) How do you meditate? Okay, okay. I think you underestimate yourself. How many of you know how to worry? Oh, yes, you do. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. Come on now, boy. I got chills all over my body when I said that. What? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah. You have to change the object of your focus. You know, I mean, if you get afraid over, man, I feel a pain in my body. Maybe it's, you know, it's your worst fear. You know, so you go to bed at night and you're thinking about that pain in your body. Or no, here's what it is. You're, you, you see a commercial or you, you go to WebMD and you read up on something. Come on now, how many's ever done that before? Oh, yes. And you can't sleep at night because, I mean, out of the 10 symptoms, you've got nine. And you're trying to get your doctor on speed dial so you can set up an appointment because you know there's something wrong with you. What are you doing? You're meditating, but you're meditating on the wrong things. The Bible says this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate therein both day and night to observe, to do according to all that is written therein. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Can I have a good amen? So when we say, is this thought confirmed by God's word, you have to know the word. 
hear me, beloved. I love you. As your pastor, I'm, I'm going to pour my heart out when I share this. This is not based on guilt. But I believe God has so much better for you. But you've got to know what's available to you. You don't even know what you have. Uh, if you don't know the word of God, you can't experience the power of God. There's so many promises in this book that God has spoken over your life. But if you don't know it, you can't speak it. If you don't speak it, you can't stand on it. If you're not standing on it, you'll be moved by any thought that comes in and out of your mind. You see, I believe that our ignorance of this book is the greatest weapon the devil uses against us. It's the word we don't know. The word that you don't know is the word you can't choose. Think about the life that you could live if you had more of this here and here. You know, when I was in college, um, I went to school uh, in Pineville up at Louisiana College. And so on a Sunday night, we practiced a lot. We played out of town. A lot of times I didn't get a chance to go to church. I mean, literally for like months at a time, I never went to church. But if we did get an off weekend... I would go to a, a church right outside of Alexandria, and I remember walking in the first night and hearing this pastor preach, and this guy was just quoting scripture like he never looked at his notes, never, never even opened the Bible, but just quoting the word left and right, and I was so stirred by that. I remember going back to my dorm room that night, and I, I thought, Lord, I want to know the word like he does, and you know what he told me? Start memorizing it. Well, wait, 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 you mean, Lord, you're going you gonna to make me work? <laughs> Start memorizing scriptures. You know what I did? I went out that night, and I got a Bible promises book. And so I just said, well, let me just start with the promises. And I, this was back in the early 90s. And so once a week, I would write on a little index card a scripture. And I would put that on my mirror. I would keep it on my dashboard. I'd put it in my notebooks, keep it in front of me. And I would try to, to rehearse the word. And so I would do that once a week. Well, after a year, you got 52 scriptures you, you got in the bank. After two years, you got, a, you got 100 after five years, you've got hundreds. Now, and it's still a practice that I carry, and I'm not saying this in a, in a, a self-serving way, but I literally carry sheets of scriptures in my car above my visor. You can go in right now with me, and I've got about four or five sheets of paper, and it's just the word. And so, man, we're, we're taking the kids on vacation. Man, I'm driving five or six hours. They all got their headphones. They're watching their iPads, whatever. Man, I'm like, hey, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your Man, I'm just rehearsing the word, man, speaking the word. I want my spirit to hear. My soul's got to hear. And guess what? By the time I get to wherever I'm going, I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. And I'm not saying that in a self-serving way, but what I am saying is this. The word you know is the ammunition you can use. God's given you weapons. He's given you armor. But you've got to know. Listen, when the devil came against Jesus in the wilderness... He tempted him, he said, Jesus, you've been fasting for 40 days. Surely you're hungry, right? That's a hunger is a legitimate need. Surely you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones to what? Bread. Now what, that thought seems harmless, right? The devil's placing some thoughts in your mind that seem harmless. How did Jesus defend himself in the wilderness? 
He said, it is written. What was his defense? The word of God. It is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God does man live. Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3. You see, you got to have some ammo that you use against the devil when he's placing that stinking thinking in your mind. When we were in Africa a number of years ago, it was interesting, I was fascinated. It seemed like every afternoon we had tea. They have afternoon tea. Um, I, I was fascinated. I thought, wow, that's interesting. I never really drink hot tea, but they, they drink hot tea every day. And so they have all these different flavored teas. And, and so they say, what kind of tea do you want? I'm like, I, I don't know. Give me a recommendation. And so, well, how about you try this? I'm like, great. And what I, I spent several weeks there, and what I realized is the longer the tea bag stayed in that hot water, the stronger the tea became. The longer the word marinates in your mind, come on, the stronger it becomes. Are you with me? You see, when we weigh the, the, the filter of Philippians 4.8 against these thoughts, we have to say, is it confirmed by God's Word. I want you to have a knowledge of the Word of God that at any moment you can defend yourself against the attacks of the devil. How many of you, when you go back to surgery, you want the surgeon to have working knowledge at his fingertips? You don't want to be wheeled back to surgery and hear the doctors say, oh, can you give me that textbook? I got to flip through. I might have missed that day in medical school. Come on, somebody say, bad day. No, 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 no. I, that, that surgeon's got to know. Listen, you got to have working knowledge of the word available to you. Start with a Bible promises book and just go through and say, you know what? I'm going to commit the rest of this year. Here it is, August. I'm going to commit from now to the end of the year. I got five months. I'm going to commit to memorizing five verses. Maybe it's just once a month. I'm not saying you got to memorize the whole book, but get that thing in your mind and get it in your spirit. Here's why this is important. Because when you're intimately familiar with the truth, you can detect a counterfeit from a mile away. Well, I don't know if this thought came from God or if it came from the devil or if it came from my flesh. Well, if you know the word, you can recognize a lie immediately. The devil is a liar. Mm -mm -mm. And listen, this is how we win the war in our mind. You with me? Oh my goodness, it is eight o'clock. That ain't right. <sighs> Who give me five more minutes? Five more minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. Okay, three hours you've got. Put three hours on the clock. Number three, is it right? Is it confirmed by God's word? Number four, and I may just end right here. Number four, is it pure? Pure. Everybody say pure. Does it pull me closer to God or drive me from him? Does this thought pull me closer to God or is it driving me from him? Is this thought pure? How many of you, you have an obsession with germs? Any germophobes among us? 
Oh yeah, you got that hand sanitizer. You got those, those, those moist towelettes. Purell. How many got some Purell in your purse? Come on, just in case. You know, it's funny. I walk through the church and, and even through the concourse and we've got these Purell stations. Have you seen that? I love them. Every time I'm walking by it, I'm like, hey. <laughs> and we keep them right up, you know, where the greeters are, right when you walk through the, the doors. You know, and, I, and we have an amazing greeters team. We do. I mean, when you walk in this place, you just feel the love. Come on. But interesting how, man, could you imagine to a first-time guest walking in, you're greeted, and man, there's that, 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 that hand sanitizer, and the greeter says, hey, well, welcome to Healing Place. Is this your first time? Oh, yeah, first time. Yeah, great, great, great. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, hey, you're going to love HPC. We love people. We don't judge. This is a non-judgment zone. Oh, really? oh you got how many? Four kids? Oh, my. <laughs> We just love kids. We love your kids. We're doing back to school celebration next Sunday. What, you're from Alabama? Oh! (laughs) Everybody say, God bless Alabama. But we coming for you, Bama. We coming for you. Is this thought pure? Is, is it holy? Let, let, me, let me turn the corner just a little bit. Be careful what you set before your eyes. TV, internet, social media, there's craziness out there. Can I read some statistics that are going to shock you? Pornography. The porn industry generates more money than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined. It is a $97 billion industry. I'm t- it is big business. And guess what? It's everywhere. 68% of church-going men, almost 7 out of 10. You take t- 10 guys in this room, 10 guys at Denim, almost 7 out of 10. 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. You know what's depressing? Nearly 50% of pastors view porn. Of Christian young adults ages 18 to 24, 76% actively search for pornography. 57% of teenagers search out porn at least once a month. 71% of teens hide online behavior from their parents. 11 is the average age. Think about it. 11 years old is the average age that a child is first exposed to pornography. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. Only 7% of pastors interviewed say that they have programs in their church to help people bound and addicted to pornography. Only 7%. Hear me, church. We have a problem. And something about pornography, I feel so strongly to share this because pornography is addictive. It's progressive and it's deadly. Good people, hear me, good people end up in bad places because they've entertained things that aren't pure. And with with the rise of social media and the internet, I mean, There was a day, 30 years ago, as a kid growing up, 
I mean, man, if you were going to look at pornography, you had to work really, really hard and be very sneaky to do it. Nowadays, with a cell phone, it's one click away. It's in your face. It's, there's a pop-up ad. You can't play video games without crazy things coming on the screen. You, you, parents, do not just give your kid a cell phone and say, hey, go, scroll through YouTube and look at videos. Come on. This is a, the enemy is targeting our kids, and pornography is not just an issue that's targeting men. It targets women as well. Is this thought pure? Job 31, verse 1, the Bible says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Church, we've got to guard what we see. We've got to be careful. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 37, the scripture says, turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. I, years ago, I was mentoring a young man, and he, he confessed. He said, Pastor, I'm struggling with pornography. And I asked him, I said, well, what is the, uh, what's the source? He said, well, I, I, I do a lot of work on my laptop, and so the internet and my laptop. I said, well, listen, here's what we need to do. Let's give you some filters. Uh, let, let's set some boundaries. Let's get some accountability here. So we put uh, filters on. There's great software out there to help you. And so we, we put some software on his computer, and I got a report every week of all of his internet activity. And so he and I met consistently six months. I said, man, Shane, you're doing awesome, man. You're doing great. He confessed to me. He said, Pastor, you know what? I, I, my, my internet use is not on my laptop anymore. I've been looking at it on my cell phone. And I said, okay, do you want to be free? He said, Mike, more than you know. Well, how important is purity to you? He said, I'll do anything. I said, let's change your data plan then. Well, what do you mean? No, no, no internet on my phone. Can you, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but he loses his own soul? Be willing to do whatever it takes to guard your heart and to guard your mind. Pornography objectifies women. It desensitizes students. That's why you see crazy, I mean, all this stuff, people acting out in crazy ways. What happened? Well, it all started with a look. And then a look becomes a lure. And then that lure creates lust. And then the next thing you know, you are locked in. Are you with me? Is this thought pure? Uh, uh, oh, goodness. Let, let me hustle. Uh, we, there's a set of questions. John Wesley uh, several hundred years ago, developed some questions that he asked these guys. He met with a group of men every week, and there are 20 questions that he asked them. I took those 20 questions and I adjusted it. Here are the 20 questions that I use in my small groups. Uh, number one, have you been spending time alone seeking God? Number two, was there a time when your love for God was hotter than it is now? Number three, have you done anything in private that if it were made public could damage your credibility? Have you ever, number four, have you ever seen uh, questionable movies or magazines or internet pictures or videos? Have your thoughts been pure and free from lust? Number five, have you exaggerated or lied in the last week? Number six, is there anyone against whom you're holding a grudge? Number seven, have you been fully submissive to authority? Number eight, who is it that you're tempted to be envious of or jealous of? Number nine, what sexual sin have you been most tempted to commit? Number 10, do you have a practice or a habit that may be a stumbling block to others? 11, have you avoided outburst of anger? and rage. 12, have you been tempted to give up? 
13, have you avoided fighting or arguing? 14, have you avoided cursing, foolish talk, dirty jokes? 15, is there any bitterness or anger in your heart for anyone? 16, is there any sin, inward or outward, that has control over you? 17, have you sought opportunities to serve? 18, have you personally shared the gospel with someone this week? 19, uh, who are you discipling? Who are you mentoring? And finally, number 20, have you been completely honest with me about the above questions? And I'm going to ask the band to come up. How bad do we want to please God? To what extreme will we go to walk in purity and holiness and godliness and righteousness? I'll tell you this, because the enemy of your soul is doing every, he'll go to whatever extreme to destroy you. We've got to declare war. Make no treaty. Show no mercy. We will walk in holiness and purity before God. Matthew 5 verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. We see God through a pursuit of purity. I want you to bow your heads with me. I want to pray over some people tonight. There at Denim, if you would, just hold tight just for another moment. I know we only covered two thoughts, and we'll get to the other two. I promise. We're going to finish this. I promise. We will. We will. But I felt so strongly tonight. I woke up this morning with a, a strong sense that God was going to set some people free tonight. I feel that. Because some of you have, have walked in confusion some of you have have been bound in your mind and God's saying hey I've got everything you need to break that stuff off of your life and I'm not here to embarrass anybody but this is how addictions start it starts with just a thought it starts with a look it starts with giving the enemy access and then he comes in and a foothold becomes a stronghold. And, and over time then, how in the world did we ever end up here? Man, that's not my heart. No, it's not your heart. But your head is a mess. And God's saying, you know what? I can clean that up. Some of you here tonight, you say, Mike, I can't clean up what I've messed up. Listen, if you could, we wouldn't need Jesus. If you could clean it up on your own, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross. But guess what? Jesus came from heaven to earth to do for you, to do for me what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.